0: Revolutionary talk for revolutionary times. Liberty Talk FM. Good
1: morning. Welcome to Medicine on Call. I feel blessed and happy to have one of my one of my friends and one of uh, recent. Uh, sorry. Uh, uh, recurrent guests on our show, Dr. Marilyn Singleton. Um, she has written an amazing blog that I wanted to discuss because we've talked a lot on the show about healthcare. But the social issues in our country are actually just as important because I believe that they bleed into our healthcare system, and we're going to discuss that, I'm sure, at length on the show. But Dr. Singleton is a board certified anesthesiologist. Um, She's also a board of directors member and president-elect of the American Association of Physicians and Surgeons. I'm sorry, Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. Um, She graduated from Stanford, earned her MD at UCSF Medical School, and she completed two years of surgery residency at UCSF, then her anesthesia residency at Harvard's Beth Israel Hospital. And while still working um, in the operating room, she attended UC Berkeley Law School. So she's uh, done a double uh, Yeoman's work here, and she, she's also a, um, a constitutional, she's a lawyer and focuses on constitutional law and administrative law. Um, she interned at the National Health Law Project and practiced insurance and in health law, and she teaches in recognition of elder abuse and constitutional law for non-lawyers. And this is a person that understands health and the law. And as we discussed before on the show, not they don't always mesh, um, but it's nice to have a voice of reason. And in honor of Black History Month, I wanted to have somebody, a voice of reason on, to give a different perspective, because we always talk about various months to highlight what makes us separate and what makes us unique. And I think we should take a look at this, because the way that it's been, uh, I guess, highlighted, the... the, the Black History Month I'm not sure it's such a positive and Dr. Singleton first of all let's, what's your thoughts on Black History Month let's, let's do the broad view first is it a positive or is it a negative in terms you know on balance in your opinion
0: certainly these days there's nothing any of us could ever do about getting rid of Black History Month but frankly I feel like Having this whole month designated to separate out black history, Mm -hmm. well, I think there was a time that it was very useful. I'm one for people blending in society and not having separate groups. But this tends to be an American thing, like we have Nurses Week and Mm -hmm. Doctors Day and now Doctors Week and... I guess people just want to feel good about themselves. And there is no question that the whole Black History Month thing was necessary at, to let people know that there is a history in this country that sometimes is completely ignored. I think what started to bother me about it was the focus seemed to change. I remember when it began, people were telling these great stories Mm -hmm. about black folks that made something of themselves or did something exciting or whatever. Mm -hmm. And now, we don't seem like we hear those stories anymore, or they don't want to treat all opinions equally. Well, it was just like the Black History Museum or African-American History Museum that opened at the Smithsonian, and they didn't have Clarence Thomas in there. Exactly. Although, just because he was a conservative, I mean, when you start doing things like that, then you really kind of ruin the concept if you're really going to do black history, well, don't start doing the same thing that they claim was done to our regular history, where you start blotting out certain people you don't <laughs> like. It's that So it, when it becomes a political thing, then I think you've spoiled the reason for having the Black History Month in the first place.
1: I absolutely agree with that. And it's become... A, a study in victimhood as, as everything everybody's a victim every every mosaic piece in our country because it's no longer a melting pot it's like a mosaic at this point everybody's clamoring to be the biggest victim and nobody wins when you do that because it just makes people separate and not speak their mind and not learn from each other I mean the things that I remember reading and, and doing research on my own you know black people involved with the Making the first traffic light or um, blood transfusions—you know—things that are actually helped the entire population. That's not brought out at all. I mean, those are things to be proud of, but not only for us as as Black Americans, but for everybody. Instead of everybody thinking that all you can do is play basketball and uh, you know sing rap, which is not the norm, it gives people a broader perspective.
0: Absolutely, I just. I had talked to some high school students so oh, a couple years back, and uh, for Black History Month, and I decided I would have theme of letting these kids know about some of the blacks first, and they were stunned. And do, do you know who invented potato chips? It was a black fellow <laughs> back in the 1800s. The fellow who invented dry cleaning back, oh, I don't know, it was in the 1790s was a black fellow. And they what surprised them again were just told that, oh, black people have always been oppressed in America. Well, that wasn't true when they did the first census in 1790, that about 15% of black people were free and, uh Many were indentured servants, just like white people. So as soon as they worked out their payment to get across over in America, they were free people. And um, free black men could vote in Massachusetts, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, New York, Maine, Vermont, Connecticut, and a couple other states, and they voted on an equal basis and were in the legislature. So why don't you let people know that? Mm -hmm. You know, why hide these sorts of things? Mm -hmm. And um, there is no question that slavery was hideous, and there were certainly plenty of people who were not living well, but let people know that there were people who were living well. And so many of them used the money they had to work against Mm -hmm. slavery and join the abolitionist movement. But They're stories of strength, not victimhood. And even people who were slaves, my goodness, sitting there learning to read by candlelight Mm -hmm. and trying to escape and all this. This was strength, not weakness. And here now, as you just said, we've seen to go back the other way instead of I'm a strong person and I'm going to make my own way and I'm going to do what. Ever it takes to make my own way. Mm-hmm. It's like, a, well, let me sit back like a little bird and let mama drop food in my mouth. It, it's just not right because children have to be taught things. They, we all come out of the womb wanting to live and then to have that idea of pushing yourself ahead kind of squelched just so the people who I call it the welfare cartel They wouldn't have a job if everybody were doing well, and it's almost like they want to keep their own little society going, and the victims are both blacks and whites who are not doing well, and to keep them that way.
1: I think you're absolutely right on that. I think an example of that was the State of the Union, where the Congressional Black Caucus and the whole Democratic side, but it was really poignant for me, the Congressional Black Caucus, when it was um, stated that black unemployment is the lowest it's ever been recorded you know, in the history of our country, and nobody even blinked. I'm like, do you want people to do badly? I mean, how do you sit there and not respond in a positive way to something that's actually positive? I don't get that, but to me that was the, that the, they outed themselves as part of the elite, part of the, the political class who only exist because they, they want to put us in a position to, quote, need them. They have our best interests. They care. No, they don't. They care about getting elected. They care about keeping their power base, and they, that's all they care about. In order to do that, they have to put their foot on the rest of us, and then they have the audacity to try to separate us in terms of race and class and sex and all these other things. We're all the same. We're all in the same boat. We're voters to them. We're a means to their end. And they just make us fight against, well, they try to, because I'm not going to buy into that. But they try to make us fight against each other and every man for him, a woman for himself. And You know, this is ridiculous.
0: Oh, it, absolutely. And what you say about trying to pit people against each other, and that's all it is, and claim that all you want is, oh, let's everybody get along. Well, Mm. why don't you start by setting a good example rather than always coming up with something negative, always coming up with something specious to say about people. And I think, boy, if we worked like that in our everyday lives, we wouldn't have a society. We would all be at each other's throats day in and day out. Uh, Can you imagine if you had a workplace where you're upset about one thing and you sit there like a child with your arms crossed, and rather than, well, let's talk about it. What? What? Did, maybe I blurted something out. Maybe I said something that I didn't know that I say. What was it? Talk to me.
1: Exactly. <laughs> <I said, laughs> mean like an adult. <laughs> 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 this is this is everywhere though. It's, I, I mean, it, it's pervading relationships I mean we have this Me Too movement that's going on where men are afraid to even they, they need chaperones now in meetings because they don't want to be along alone with a woman this is this has come to well, a point that it's kind of scary
0: well as someone who grew up in the age of feminism and seeing women advance through the years When I went to medical school, it was a big deal. We had 12 women out of 132 in the class, and (laughs) I was the only woman in my surgery internship class. But things have changed. Half of medical school, or women, women have a presence, a huge presence in society and society. Here's a, again, complaining like a victim, rather than saying, okay, here I am, I'm the boss, act like one. And it really bothers me when some of the women are saying, oh, well, I couldn't do anything. Number one, is your job more important than your pride? Mm-hmm. Well, in some cases, it is, okay, I have to feed my family, mm-hmm. et cetera but you start going out and looking for another job, and then you tell the guy off, and that's that's how you play that game. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are many times when there's no question that your job is not going to be at jeopardy. You could just be on a date. Whatever happened to buzz off creep Mm -hmm. and turning on your heel and walking away and to, to say that, oh, well, I couldn't do that... That's a cop-out, and I just think this whole thing victimizes women rather than telling women, come on, be strong. It's all in how things are presented. There's no question that there's uh, women's issues. But approach them from a stance of strength, not a stance of weakness. And you'd be amazed what you can get away with, and I even laughed. I My husband had to go to the doctor, and our regular doctor is a man, but he was gone, so it was a woman doctor filling in, and I, and I told the lady <laughs> at the desk, well, I don't know, me too. Should I have to go in there as a chaperone? <laughs> I don't think she thought it was funny.
1: <laughs> well, you are in California, so you got to take that with a grain of salt. On that note, let's take a break. You're listening to Medicine On Call. Welcome back to Medicine On Call. We're speaking with Dr. Marilyn Singleton, um, a friend and somebody that I respect highly. And we're having a conversation today. Uh, you know, we're telling the truth, actually. I think we've been beaten down with this, uh, you know, virtue signaling, social justice warrior mindset of, if you have an opinion, you need to keep it to yourself because someone's gonna come after you. But the truth doesn't matter. I, I was, just the last eight years have been an, an interesting time to live. I mean, we are told that we've moved, we haven't moved forward as a country, we're just, you know, we're, like, we're back in the 1950s, nothing's changed. I beg to differ. My mom used to have to, you know, go through the back door and not be able to try on clothes when she lived in um, North Carolina. To a child that went to Princeton as a doctor and is now a radio show host, so I don't see that. From a, doc, a dad who came over from the Caribbean and built his own business and went back and retired, it's all about work. That's my frame of reference, and not being a victim and not letting somebody else define you.
0: It's. It's interesting to me when I it, I went to law school when I was in my 40s and in a constitutional law class, I, listening to 22-year-old kids who've been indoctrinated was, I always found fascinating. And the teacher was really good, he wasn't one of these censors, some professors wanted to censor comments. but. We were doing the case on Lorraine Hansberry, who that's where the play Raisin Mm and the Sun came from, her own experience in Chicago, where they had restrictive living. And this was in the 40s. And uh, so her case went to the Supreme Court and they said, no, you can't have restrictive covenants and people can live where they want to live. And one student says, well, black people just didn't have any money, and, and this, that, and the other. And I turned to her, and I said, excuse me? <laughs> and then I gave her this list. That's like Madam C.J. Walker. Mm. She was a millionaire in the ni- early 1900s. It's like, goodness, black people have been making it for years. And I and I, I, I didn't know, I, you know was civil, but I'm thinking in my head, where were you educated? You think you're so smart, you're in a top-tier law school, and you don't know anything, and don't have a lick of sense. And um, I just think of, of, I look at my grandfather just in a small town in Ohio. This was so amazing. I went back there. I had never been to Lima, and... I thought, well, I guess I should go see his grave. And there's a center in Ohio named after him, the the Bradfield Center. And it's one of these places that does help for people needing jobs and a place for kids to go after school, teaches them how to use computers and that type thing. And it's gotten bigger and bigger over the years. And the man who was the head of the Bradfield Center, he told me where the cemetery was. And he said, well, and the black side is... Over such and such So I go there And the lady just said Oh, Dr. Bradfield uh, He's up here And he was so revered Even though he was black He was buried on the white side Of the cemetery up on a hill Hmm. So it was kind of like Guess what You can break through And this, we're talking 1937 or 8 When he died And I just think about how good work, being a good person, a competent person, and no matter what your level of education, just be a good person and do your job and people will respect you. You just see it over and over and over. A lady who used to help my mother, Mildred, uh, sweet as could be came out to California from Oklahoma, had her first baby at 14, and she had six or seven kids. But Mildred was amazingly good at her job. So she worked her way up from just kind of working. It was one of those things that each of my mother's friends, because it's not like we had maids, maybe once a week somebody came and helped that person clean their house. Well, suddenly, By the time Mildred retired, she had worked her way up to be the head maid down at the Naval Officers Club. You know, so it's like, even with a job that somebody might think is a lowly job, if you're good at it and good with people, you can make it.
1: I I think that's the most important thing that you said, really. It's about working. It doesn't matter what you do. Whether that's a street cleaner, a maid, teacher, doctor, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's doing the best that you that you can do for your your ability, and to do it with intention, and to do it with respect for yourself and other people. There's no civility anymore. This the the progressive side talks a lot about civility. These are the most incivil people, if that's a word I've ever heard. They call people names, they come after people, they threaten people, and yet they call themselves. Um, you know, victims and being bullied, and they're the ones doing it. I think we're, in, you know, we're in definitely in Aurelian times where it's complete, uh, you know, double-speak, and we, <laughs> it's cognitive dissonance everywhere. I mean, did you hear the, um, the, the thought process now in, in school that they're going to ban the word of use of best friend because it makes people feel excluded, and they make people sit in, you know, pre-assigned seats in the lunchroom so nobody's left out. This is, this is like social engineering 101. But all it does is create divisiveness and loneliness. And that's one of the things, I think, that make people feel badly about themselves and they need to lash out. You know, you have safety in your harbor of people who are like-minded and think like you do. And you hate everybody else who's other. And that's the problem with the society. But you can divide and conquer that kind of folk really easily.
0: Mm-hmm. And And, of course... That's probably the reason it's being done, if you have people all divided up mm-hmm. and make people think that something's wrong with them. I mean, I, I just don't get it, why people don't see that once you're categorized off into a little group, that little groups, there's something negative about it. That. Why do you need something special? It must be because there's something wrong with me. And that's human nature. And certainly everybody knows the psychology that of throwing off onto somebody else what's really wrong with you.
1: Mm-hmm. You blame Rejection. the other person. Yeah,
0: And this is just what's happening more and more and more. And cool. it's, it's sad. It's just plain sad. And... Uh, There's so many stories of people who use their independence and they use their smarts and and, uh, get ahead, even many moons ago, people who have various problems, let's say. Mm -hmm. And look at even Helen Keller, my goodness, somebody who's deaf and blind, and they managed to do something with their life, and it's... It's stunning. Now, granted, some people might have good parents and and have other things that help propel them, but that's no guarantee. If you're told that something's wrong with you and you can't make it, then guess what? You won't, because that's how you've been brainwashed.
1: You can also see this. I don't know if you read the article of the I think there was a child who had a science project and I think they had to withdraw it, but the conclusions were that that black students are their IQs are lower, they're not gonna succeed in in, uh, in you know post high school, uh, you know, college and, and the world basically. That's mm-hmm. the mindset. That's totally false. You're making total generalizations and blanket statements. But it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy, because now you're getting kids out of school who can't do math, who can't, who don't know their history, who can't form a sentence properly. Texting is an issue where kids can't even spell, so you're, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy where people are being educated basically out of the mainstream and not given the skills so they can do the things that we just described. Most people who are successful don't go to college. They actually are self-starters. They start their own businesses. They're entrepreneurial. That's, that's been my, um, my frame of reference and my assessment. College isn't for everybody. But we have this mindset that it's, well, you belong to this group, so you're going to struggle. And then the person internalizes that, and they struggle. It's all framing. I think you're absolutely right. We just need to get out of the box of what you look like is equal to what you are your character it's not the same just listen to Martin Luther King right content of character not color of skin and we've moved backwards in that regard
0: it's we, and we have and it's very sad because people came so far <laughs> and it's it's like with any group that you're unfamiliar with and you know people from Appalachia people think oh well they're dumb hicks mm-hmm. well that's not true and you meet a person from Appalachia and find out they might not have gone to college but boy are they bright and smart and managed to get themselves out of some hole or mm-hmm. they're very clever or whatever. That many times it does take interacting with other people and slowly but surely people were interacting more with each other and it's almost like when some of these so-called leaders saw people advancing and interacting and mm-hmm. getting along, it's like, oh, what can we do to <laughs> stop that? Yeah. We can't have people getting along?
1: Yeah. Oh, and it's it's, it's it's almost like it's a, uh, it's very organized between all the talking points are straight through, from the politis- politicians to the Hollywood types. To you know, the people on the you know mainstream media talk shows, they're saying the exact same things. If you ever just flip stations to these things, it's the same talking point, and it's coordinated. I think people, if they would just take a step back from the emotional, and it's all about emotion. Once you have your emotions ginned up, your common sense really goes out the window. And if we can just take a step back. And really get to listen to somebody not talk at people but listen to them i think that would be a great step forward in breaking through this this haze that we're in on that note let's take a break and i want to get your response when we come back through listening to medicine on call welcome back to medicine on call i know we, we stopped off in a in the middle of a thought and i want to get your opinion on this it's like a psychological warfare that we're going under your reality doesn't matter it's what i say is real is real you know sec, you know your biology is irrelevant so you can be a woman biologically but you're not really and it's just also it's confusing and i've just taken a step back from it all What's your opinion on this? Is this a concerted effort, or is this just, I don't know, random?
0: I think it's an effort. Nothing of some of the bizarre goings on can be random. I must say, you know how you can take a symbol and that anyone can identify with. When you come on an airplane, with a peacock and say this is a comfort animal, <laughs> what does our society come to <laughs> and expect that everyone else should set step aside while you have bird guano all over <laughs> the airport, all over people? And they can arrive at their destination smelling like poop. (laughs) Now, you tell me, where have we come?
1: We're we're dropping pretty low.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And be indignant if they're told, no, we don't want bird guano everywhere.
1: (laughs) Someone used to be an adult and say, no. I mean, this is, it's out of control. I was telling my producer in the break, somebody says now that they're trans ageist. Have you heard that term? No. Okay. He's going to be appalled. <laughs> but this guy molested a 12 year old and he said that in his mind he's a trans ageist. He thinks of himself as a 12 year old boy so it was okay. This is what you get when you encourage and let this thing go to the natural end point. It just gets more ridiculous and insane. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's
0: stunning. That's stunning. stunning. Well it, it's well, it certainly began way back when when we started thinking of the term moral relativism, mm. and that's where it got to, well, if it feels good, do it. And uh, at first, it used to be, if it feels good, do it as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. It's like, okay, fine. Now, it's just, if it feels good, do it, and we will come up with an excuse mm-hmm. why you should be able to do it, even though it does hurt other people. And... Uh, there's no more social contract. It's all for me and it doesn't matter what your feelings are and I don't care if you're allergic you can cough yourself to death and die or bring an EpiPen on the plane but I'm having my peacock there Mm -hmm. and and then want to sue somebody because you can't have it. Common sense would tell you you can't bring a peacock on a plane. It's (laughs) It's outrageous. We were in some store the other day, and somebody had a dog that had one of those uh, therapy dog things on there, and the dog was totally unruly, and it's like, this isn't any therapy dog. This is just their unruly little dog they wanted to bring along, and it's, it, it, sadly, it ruins it for people who are trying to do things the right way.
1: Isn't that the case? It's like the stamp of that same mentality throughout. You know, the it, it pervades everything. All of a sudden, this whole me- memo issue. You know, oh. <laughs> you make up a memo, just make it up, and you're just supposed to put it out there. I mean, it's there's no rule of law at all, and it's relative, as as you just described. It's okay for one side to do it, but not okay for the other, and it's. Complete hypocrisy. I mean, it, and every every time you turn around, something's hypocritical. The people who are crying about, for example, he would lose Hollywood again, the Weinstein saga, and all the things that he did, and the people who are up there complaining the most took pictures with him, were you know best buddies with the guy. Where were you when you, all the stuff was going on? I mean, so, so you don't have a moral leg to stand on when you have, you do movies with the guy, you party, you you know introduce him to young starlets and there's a problem with that
0: absolutely It's. I find it amusing it's like they've been caught I remember, hmm. remember after I don't know one of these shows that I stopped watching years ago um, where Oprah Winfrey gave some speeches like, over for president, over for president, <laughs> and then somebody put out a bunch of pictures of her tamming it up with Harvey Weinstein mm-hmm. and suddenly says, oh, I don't think I want to do it. Yeah. Like, yeah, you don't want to do it because I'm sure you've been cuzzling up to a whole lot of people that you wouldn't want to come out. And you had to have known and I'm so marginal as far as Hollywood I mean I'm certainly not part of all that but I live out in L.A. and there's certain things that quote unquote everybody knows and yes it could be rumor and certainly by the time it gets to me it's rumor mm-hmm. but even if it's rumor <clears throat> excuse me if you're in a position to actually know about these things it's well, why don't you investigate a little? And I like, no, I don't want to investigate because I want to be his buddy and no. I don't want to know the truth. And even after I know the truth, I'm still going to be his buddy because guess what? The advancement of my career is more important <laughs> than saying, you know, you're a pig and I don't want to deal with you.
1: Well, it, it takes moral clarity and not going for the easy, easy thing, you know, getting the part or getting elected to and, and staying in position of power when you know things are going on and you don't speak up and you just, you know, shove it under the rug. This is where we're at. This is not just, it's everywhere. You know, you're looking at the political system. Let's go to our health care system. The Affordable Care Act had nothing to do with health care. If you really wanted to help people on the On the stressed end of our society, who didn't have access to health care, it wasn't this bill or this law that would do it. I think you should have just expanded Medicare and Medicaid and and get a catchment for the people who have catastrophic illnesses and can't afford it, instead of upending the entire thing and and transferring the wealth from working folks to the government and to the insurance industry. I mean, but, you know, follow the money. Who stands to gain? And... That's like the mantra everywhere, right? Just look at the motives. It's it's not what you say. It's what you stand to gain behind the scenes, you know?
0: That's right. That's right. This whole, I think more and more people, (coughs) excuse me, have become aware of the, it's really, you you may just sound so conspiratorial, but uh, I guess what it is, (laughs) that, the motives behind not just Obamacare but many other pieces of legislation where the true motive is to control Mm -hmm. and to get more government control in your life and as we've all seen once you get this control it's very hard to get rid of it there's so many things that once you get it you can't take it away. One of my pet peeves and I hope your listeners won't think I'm a hideous person. But it's what's happened with food stamps. It used to be you used food stamps to go to the store and buy some food that were necessities for your life, to feed your children, to feed yourself. Mm -hmm. And there's no question that there are people who can't afford to feed their kids. When I was in college, I worked in Fista, and we distributed free government food, which, of course, is hideous food. It was all fatty, peanut butter, and all this, but a whole other story, but <laughs> nonetheless, there's people who need food. Fast forward 40 years. You can't go to a Jack in a Box, a Kentucky Fried Chicken, and any other fast food outlet, you name it. And what is the sign in the window? We take EBT, mm-hmm. in other words, food stamps. I just don't think that's right, that if you've got $125 of government subsidy to help you buy food, should you be buying Kentucky Fried Chicken with it? Jack and a box. It just, something about that just doesn't strike me right. Mm-hmm. You should, it, it should be basics, what you're using that money for. You could blow through the whole $125 if you go to KFC or Jagna Box a few times, then what happens to the rest of the money? Mm-hmm. So, I to me, I think that's wrong, that you should be able to use food stamps and, um, a jack-in-a-box. It just doesn't
1: seem right. But They've actually expanded it. You can use them. I've heard people using it in the strip clubs and uh, gambling and all sorts of things. It's it's an underground economy, you know, and I'm with you on that. First of all, the food quality needs to be better. No GMOs organic, in my opinion. And actually mm-hmm. the government has come up with a a, a new theory about how we can – change the delivery system. They're talking about um, having, you know, those food delivery systems where you get a monthly um, Mm -hmm. at-home delivery? Well, half of the monthly money would be used for that. So people would actually have food, you know, the basics, the staples, delivered to their home, and that would be half of what they get per month. That guarantees that it's not going to Kentucky Fried Chicken and other places that, actually, from a health perspective, is just completely toxic. And people would actually have a higher standard of nutrition. That's a great idea. But I would hope that they would raise the quality of the food that they're delivering, so it can't be just crap. you know. It, has, it needs to be organic. It needs to be GMO-free, but that's another another topic. But that's an interesting mindset, because it takes some of that power away from bad choices. And they're not even bad choices. I think they're cheap choices. You know, it costs more to eat healthy in our country than it does to buy a a McDonald's or whatever, the, the fast food thing. A 99 cent burrito is a lot cheaper than buying kale. And that's a problem. And that needs to be addressed as well. On that note, let's take a break. You're listening to Medicine On Call. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. My guest today is Dr. Marilyn Singleton. She's the president-elect of Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, one of my favorite organizations. And, again, it's just such a pleasure to have you on. It's like talking, having a great conversation with a, with a best buddy here. So thank you again for taking time out of your schedule to be with me on the show today.
0: It's always a pleasure.
1: So from your perspective, I mean, we talked a lot about various social aspects of our country. How does, you know, I think that this has had a a, a chilling effect really on the delivery of our healthcare system. And in your piece, you talk about people not accessing it because of perceived biases, you know, not having a doctor that really respects you because you're not of their, you know, you're not of their race, Uh, not trusting the doctors because of things that went on historically like the Tuskegee Um, experiment. And if you can tell our listeners who don't know what that is, that would be, I think, an educational point.
0: Okay. Back after penicillin had been discovered, so we're talking in the 30s, they were trying to decide, the government was trying to decide if penicillin would cure syphilis and what stages you could cure it. Syphilis has three stages, and by the time you get to the third stage where the, because uh, uh, it's not really a bacteria, it's something called the spirochete, gets in your brain, and there's changes in your brain. There's nothing you can do about it then, but syphilis is totally curable in the first and probably early second stage. These people were known to have syphilis. They found black men, brought them over to Tuskegee Institute, and divided them up. Some got penicillin, some didn't. And so the group that didn't went on to get tertiary syphilis when they knew that penicillin cured syphilis. It was appalling, and these types of studies, of course, you ethically can't do when they start drug studies, and it's obvious that the person who got the drug is leaps and bounds ahead of the people who don't get a drug. They just have to stop the study, because ethically, you can't deny people the drug. Well, many people know about the Tuskegee study, and it's certainly been... um, TV movie has been made about it and certainly people in the South remember it. And so many times now, certainly older black folks, when they go to the doctor, in fact when I was in medical school, one of the questions that we were told to ask people, have you ever been told you had, quote, bad blood? Because that was the term they used to describe syphilis back during the study days. And were they still remember this and wonder that if you give somebody a drug and very quickly say, well, here's a drug we've been trying, they're going to focus on the word trying, like, are you doing an experiment on me? And this is one of these things where this distrust has to do with the entire healthcare system, because now that they're trying to tell you to see patients in seven minutes, You can't have the kind of discussion you need, and especially if you have a patient and they're older and you can see that they're thinking, oh, are they going to be using me as an experiment, and why aren't they giving me the drug that works? Why'd they say we're trying this? Well, obviously, doctors all the time try things just because one drug might be better in one patient and not in another, so there's nothing evil or nefarious behind it. But you need to explain that and be able to say, well, you know, sometimes in a certain group this drug works better for your blood pressure, other times another one does. So we're going to start with drug A and watch you for a couple of months and I'm going to see you in a couple of months and if drug A doesn't work the way that I think it will, then we're going to add drug B. Mm -hmm. But that takes time. Mm -hmm. You you just can't say here, here's a prescription pad. Here it is. Get out of my face. And more and more, that's what's happening. But note to minorities, it's happening to everyone now. So no one is singling out minorities. But again, this circles back to what you said about the Obamacare was not designed to help anybody because now all that's happening is you're being shuffled in and out of these doctor's offices or seeing people who you don't even know aren't really a doctor. And uh, more robotic medicine, medicine by algorithm. It's uh, under the guise of, well, we're going to use evidence-based medicine. Well, certainly there's things that we know are proven to work, and yes, all doctors are going to do that, but what about using your common sense and your intuition and and uh, knowing that particular patient to help inform how you're going to ultimately treat that patient?
1: You're absolutely right, and this evidence-based medicine is not a one-size-fits-all uh, medicine. If you, if you know and you you look at how these studies are done, Some of them don't have any minority participants, no children, and then they actually extrapolate the finding from a small group like it's going to fit everybody else, and that's not true, right?
0: That's right. That's right. But it's always everything is designed for, well, this works on most people, Mm so don't even investigate. But we all know why they came up with those things. That's because eventually... They are going to convince people, they don't need to see a doctor, that this is somebody's idea on how to cut healthcare costs, because if you can do it by algorithm, then you can go to the guy at Jack in a Box and he can pull up the computer and it says, if this, then that, if this, then that, if this, then that. And uh, it doesn't always work. Back in the old days, before you had to kick people out of the hospital in one day. We used to keep people in the hospital because of their social history. Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody cares about social history anymore. We'd know that somebody's wife was also sick and there really wouldn't be anyone at home to take care of them, Mm -hmm. so we thought, okay, let the guy stay in the hospital a couple more days until his wife gets better because they don't have anybody that cares for them. Their kids hate them, whatever. (laughs) Nobody knows this about your family anymore, and so many things like that help inform how you're going to take care of a patient.
1: This is true. Or if you're homeless, you try to get them social services to get them somewhere to go. Yeah, that was a whole, that was always part of the hospitalization. Now it's not. And, you know, if this algorithm medicine was so awesome, why is the life expectancy dropping for the second year Mm -hmm. in a row? Something's wrong with the system.
0: Absolutely. And when you look at the things that are causing it to drop, guess what? Suicide is in there and so many times people want to talk to somebody and you don't need it to be a psychiatrist. Uh, And you hate it to have to be the bartender. And that, (laughs) unfortunately, is where people are going, because to soothe their troubles, get a drink, and the bartender will listen to you. Well, that's what doctors used to do. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's crazy to me, Dr. George, how... This was allowed to happen and I think doctors, we doctors are at fault to a certain degree because we have to learn to put our collective seat down and mm-hmm. say no, we're not going to take it. We're going to spend time with our patients and guess what, we're going to get paid for our time and we're going to give patients value for their time because we know what they want. They want someone to this."
1: I couldn't have said it better. This value-based medicine is not listening. It's the opposite. You're right. Seven minutes, you're looking at a computer screen, having somebody do the entire physical before you, a doctor walks in the door and just signs off on it. When you're depending on someone's clinical judgment and acumen, that's, that's never been how a doctor's been trained, I, and certainly not how we were trained. How do people no. do that and expect it to have a good outcome?
0: I, I don't know. It, it circles all the way around to how we began and it begins with brainwashing people basically mm-hmm. and telling them that this is the way it is and if you're told it often enough you believe it and this is what's happening. Patients are led to believe well this is what you get from the doctor and that's the way it has to be. Well, it doesn't have to be that way. And. Um, I'm not wishing anyone ill but if you're sick, go see Dr. George because she'll spend some time
1: with you. I appreciate the plug and Dr. Singleton, if you're living in California, no question on that. we're about to end the show, but I wanted to congratulate you on, on being the president-elect of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, and I look forward to working closely with you and just being a resource for you, anything you need. Thank you again for coming on. Um, how can people reach you if they need to in this last second that we have?
0: Um, go to aapsonline.org, or you can reach me directly at Marilyn M. Singleton, at gmail.com. Send me
1: a Thank you so much, and happy Valentine's Day. Same to you. Bye-bye bye now. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Medicine on Call.
0: Revolutionary Talk for Revolutionary Times. Liberty Talk FM.